1: Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast, The Founder Podcast.
0: Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. and I'm coming to you live from hometown Melbourne, Australia. I hope you have a fantastic day wherever you are around the world and whatever you're up to. I know some of you guys Uh, Listen to the podcast while you're on the way to the office, uh, while you're working out, going for a walk, or even if you're uh, just working away, have it running in the background. But I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. And as always, we've got someone that's super smart, an established founder, someone knows what they're doing, and he's the one and only Brian Clark from Copyblogger. Now, this guy's a bit of a hero of mine because what he's done with his media company, copyblogger.com, is extremely impressive. He's built an eight-figure business all around really just building an audience first and then asking his audience what they want and, and really putting his ears to the floor, really trying to listen and hear and understand and speak to his audience and find out how they can further serve. And um yeah, he, he, he shares a lot of stuff with us around how he's done that and how he's used content marketing in particular. He's been doing this for a long time. He's like, I know content marketing is a bit of a buzzword. I would consider Brian one of the OGs uh, at this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, he shares a lot, a lot about you know his SaaS company and uh, his partners and how he set all that up. And um, yeah, it's super impressive. Like I said, he's a little bit of a hero of mine, what he's done with his media company that I aspire for us to do at Founder. So before we uh, jump in, I just want to let you know what's happening in my world. Uh, yeah, just hiring and uh, training people up, We're working a lot of products at the moment, a lot of sales funnels, uh, which has been very, very interesting to grow the brand and just producing tons more content. And uh, it's been very, very interesting uh, what it takes to get to the next level of scaling your business. And, uh, yeah, it's been interesting, guys. I can tell you that much. Uh, we're definitely uh, sacrificing uh, profit for growth at the moment. But, uh, no, it's all good fun. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really amazing to um, see how far we've come in the past few years. So that's it from me. I hope you are enjoying these episodes. If you are, please do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you are. It helps more than you can imagine. Please do let any of your friends know. Okay, now let's jump to the show. So the first question that I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job?
1: Well, I like to say I don't have a job, but um, I think I understand what you're getting at. <laughs> um, you know, I guess since... 1998, I've created a series of jobs for myself, uh, known as companies and I've never looked back. Um, I think the main motivation, I was an attorney and I always, you know, kind of just say I didn't like practicing law, but let's be honest. The truth is I didn't like working for someone else and I slowly figured that out over time. And, and my biggest fear now is gosh, if things really went sideways, could I even do it? And that's, <laughs> that's why my podcast is called Unemployable.
0: <laughs> awesome. So 1998, is that when you started Copyblogger or, or, or what did you do?
1: No, I started three businesses before I ever started Copyblogger. Copyblogger was really uh, talking about what I had learned as a complete newbie to the world of marketing and entrepreneurship yeah. So I, I I had three businesses under my belt, actually four, but the first one failed. So I generally talk about the the three that succeeded. And that was really um, when I understood the connection between content and audience, but selling things as opposed to trying to make money from advertising. That was what I figured out that actually made the second business work.
0: Mm. So can you tell us about those four businesses just briefly?
1: Yeah, the first one was really built off of what people were doing um, in the late 90s with email. Uh, They were publishing e-zines. This was before blogs. So basically the content was all in the body of an email or at least delivered by email. And uh, there were people like Chris Perillo, who is a a very prominent person to this day, and others that uh, were doing this kind of thing. So I was just kind of observing and uh, trying to figure things out because it was a very different world. No blogs about how to make money online, no conferences, no courses, no books, no nothing. Um, But it actually was a groundbreaking book in 1999 that put me on the right path. And that was permission marketing from Seth Godin. On one hand, I was doing a lot of it right. I was getting uh, permission-based subscriptions. Uh, I was producing great content that people wanted. I just didn't know how to make money. And Godin basically said, look, this is direct marketing. It's just a different form of it. You have to have something to sell. And I was like, oh, okay. So the first successful business was actually a small law firm um, because that was the only thing I had to sell. I had, you know, four years of legal experience and a law degree. And, uh, what most young attorneys can't do is develop clients. And I figured out how to do that. And at that moment, an entrepreneur was born because I was just so amazed that I could develop business myself just with an email newsletter. And, you know, no one understood what I was doing at that time. They thought I was crazy, Uh, but it worked and that's how I basically supported myself for a couple of years, but I still didn't want to practice law. I knew that it wasn't what I liked to do, even if I was doing it for myself. So the next two businesses were in real estate and I can't really say that I had a burning passion for real estate either, but it was non-legal. Uh, you can make a lot of money in real estate and that's kind of what attracted me to it, which was I saw what other brokers and realtors uh, were trying to do online. And I had already learned so much at that time just by doing it that I was like, this is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. And honestly it was within six months of starting the first of the two real estate brokerages, which were all made just out of websites. There was no office. There was no, you know, benches with glamour shots on them. Like a lot of (laughs) that Normal real estate marketing you see uh it was all online, and within six months, I'm doing ten grand a month and within a i'd say a year and a half, it was up to thirty grand a month and then uh, you know a couple of years into it, up to fifty and I had a real business and I started you know then i I had a two niche real estate offerings and, and that was another important thing uh some people are afraid to specialize and yet that's the way that you can really own enough business to really do well, as opposed to saying, well, I'll just say I'll do anything for anyone and no one hires you whatsoever.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: And what was the business that failed? That was the easy one. So I kept that going until the dot com crash, which was kind of a mercy killing. You know, at that point, uh, the nascent advertising industry online was just basically dead for a little bit and even today you know how hard it is to make money with ads i mean you make money by actually selling your product and and that's a great insight for people i think everyone thinks that advertising is such an easy way to make money it's one of the hardest business models out there and it's getting worse instead of better because we tend to ignore ads you know you know the whole story so That, uh, that business stayed going while I was concurrently doing the law firm. Uh, and I, again, I, I took only the clients that, uh, would pay me the best had interesting projects or would put me on retainer. And that was another smart move because I didn't really want to practice law. So I had the guts to just turn things away because I knew I didn't want, I only had so much time. So I would take enough business in order to to make good money, but also have time to work on the other business. But it it wasn't enough. It didn't make it. And I guess it was 2001
0: that I just shut
1: that down. And that's when I started the first real estate business.
0: Gotcha. So what happened next? When when did you finish up on the real estate and law side? Yeah, so it all came to a crashing halt in
1: 2005. Uh, I had a snowboarding accident where I ended up with a fairly serious head injury, even though I didn't know it for a couple months. I had a subdural hematoma, which resulted in an emergency craniotomy because I let it go too far. Craniotomy's kind of gross, but it's when they basically peel back half of your skull, uh, oh to God. get all, all the blood that it accumulated. Yeah. If you don't let it go too far, they can do a drain, but, like an idiot. I had these headaches forever. And I thought, you know, my second child was being born at the time I was working really hard. So I'm just like, okay, I usually don't get headaches, but you know, it's probably nothing. That was stupid. If you, <laughs> if you have headaches, continually go to the doctor, please. I'm a big proponent of, of head, uh, injury awareness and safety now, obviously. So when my kids get a knock on the head, I'm all freaked out about it. Um, You know, and usually it turns out to be okay, but uh, concussions, for example, not something you want to mess with. Anyway, that's my PSA on that topic. So I had a three-month recovery period um, from surgery. Everything turned out fine. I mean, amazingly, but something changed. When I woke up from surgery, I was like, I'm never doing anything just for money anymore. And let's face it, I was doing the real estate businesses because I had a chip on my shoulder. I had something to prove that I could succeed outside of law in a completely new field thanks to my understanding of online marketing. And I did prove that, but I, I also proved that I'm a terrible manager. I'm not the greatest. At least at that point, I was not good at the whole working on the business you know, I was trying to do everything. I couldn't delegate. We've heard the story over and over again. And so after 2005, number one, I was like, I don't want to do this kind of business. I'm going to go completely online. And number two, I'm going to only do what I'm good at. So I will partner or if I have to hire, but I will never try to do it all myself again. And that really led us to the copy blogger era.
0: Yeah, gotcha. So who did you partner with for Copyblogger? Like what are you good at and what aren't you good at?
1: Well, for the first year and a half of Copyblogger, it was just me and it was me doing what I'm good at, which is writing, uh, creating content and building an audience. And Copyblogger really took off because it was a very complementary approach to what Darren Rouse was doing with ProBlogger and some of the other commercial blogging efforts at that time. So it wasn't really competitive. It was, yes, good advice, but also, and it was really two things, apply copywriting techniques to content and sell stuff, which is what we call content marketing. And believe it or not, at that time, I got a lot of pushback from established bloggers. It was a very, you know, different time. It was very you know, you would have debates about putting advertising on a blog. And I mean, think about that now in 2017, it seems ridiculous, right? Yeah. Wow. But that's, you know, blogging grew out of a very idealistic space and eventually, you know, became, uh, you know, I I think a, a great form of, of ethical business building. And then of course there's always bad apples that come along. The interesting thing about that was I wasn't a bad apple at all. I mean, I've, been preaching ethics continuously for 11 years, it was just the time. And using the word sell was just offensive to some people, which, again, it makes me laugh now.
0: Mm. Interesting. So you worked on Copy Copyblogger for a year and a half, so around 2007, 2008, it sounds like it. Yeah. So you've been doing that for 10, 11 years? Well,
1: yeah. so Copy Blogger started in January of 2006. And we launched our first product in October of 2007. And that was with my first partner, Tony Clark, who is still with me to this day as our chief operating officer. So there you have it. What was I not good at? Operations. Uh, His wife, Kim, came in to handle support once we succeeded. And that was really the core nucleus of what became the company we have now that has, you know, uh, sixty plus people working for it. It was that those three components: marketing, operations, and support.
0: Yeah, wow, that's crazy. So, Tony, that worked with you. What was the first product? Was it a course? A-book? Yeah, it was.
1: It was. So we we spent a lot of time talking and then trying to figure out from the audience we'd built with Copy Blogger what they need. They need something to sell. We have convinced them, you know, about about how to create this kind of content. We've convinced them that it's better to sell a product or service instead of advertising, but that didn't mean they had anything to sell. So we really kicked around a lot of different ideas around the idea of online courses, which again is very well established now. But in 2007 I literally had to convince people that the online education market would become what it is today. Because again, at that time you had bloggers like Robert Scoble saying people will never pay for information again. I'm like, don't be crazy. Okay. That's, that's ridiculous. But people believe that stuff. Right. And again, it sounds ridiculous 10 years later, but that was the environment that we, we had to deal with. So I really put a lot of effort into making the case why, yeah, actually people will pay for quality education. And often it's more desirable than free, blah blah blah. Long story short, we went from zero to six figures in a week, and seven figures within the year.
0: Yeah. Okay. Wow. And then, what happened next? Because um, yeah, sixty staffs a lot of people, man. I think you, you said. I think you've mentioned you're doing over eight figures now with, with the Copyblogger entity, right? Across all the companies, right? And it's only one company, but
1: okay. yeah, um, we, we've been doing eight figures for the last three years and, um, and that's kind of amazing. I'm very proud of that. Uh, I, I, honestly could not have predicted that at the beginning, but it's just one of those cases. And you and I have talked about the same context with founder where just year by year you keep adding on and adding on new lines of business, expanding what you've got, and then you get there, you know, and it's amazing. But uh, yeah it's it's not necessarily what I was aiming for in fact when I started copyblogger I kind of swore that I would never have employees again and I was lying apparently <laughs> because, <laughs> because that but but you know you go with the flow and I think that's the best way to describe what we've done year after year we just kept identifying needs of the audience and satisfying those needs and you know revenue just keeps increasing and profits keep increasing but with that you need more people in order to support what you got
0: mm. yeah now now we get into the juicy stuff that I'm really curious about so where are you based well i'm in boulder
1: colorado but the company itself has always been virtual we've always hired the best for, person for the job no matter where they are interestingly uh, Tony Clark, again, who was my first partner, we didn't meet for almost three years, and we were <laughs> wow. already generating seven figures in revenue, right? Um, so we just are internet people, you know, and so we've always, even before Trello and Slack, you know, we we knew how to collaborate efficiently online. And maybe that takes a special breed of person, but I think as as time goes on, more and more people are adept at, at doing this kind of uh, work ad hoc with teams or even consistently uh, because of the mainstreaming of social media and the technology that's kind of gone with it. But back in 2006, 2007, it was pretty weird to have people collaborating without having ever met in person, you know
0: yeah that's crazy. that's 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 a pretty impressive accomplishment, Brian, that you've got sixty people all remote. So Tony must do an awesome job with the operations because I, I I couldn't do that. Like, well, for us, we're going all in Melbourne now, yeah, it's it's all process.
1: He's, you know, from the day I met him, he told me everything that I should have known for the last three businesses. But you know, that's that's the beauty of it. And, and I'm a big proponent of if you try to, I mean, everyone has to do uh, wear a lot of different hats when you're just starting up. But, um, I really built the company on partnering. So that first there was Tony Clark, then Sonia Simone joined that group. Uh, she's now our, our chief, uh, content officer. Uh, Sean Jackson brought me the idea for scribe, which was our first SaaS. That when was did you actual, start
0: that? Tell me about that, because that, because that's one thing I'm really, really curious about. When you started producing software?
1: Yeah. Okay. So let me back this up because there is an interesting step by step timeline here. Mm. So 2007 was teaching sales a course. 2008 was thesis, which was uh, the first design framework for WordPress. Now that. People forget because it's so WordPress. You know the the paid market is just so common now that in 2007 that didn't even exist until Brian Gardner, who is a member of Brainmaker Digital today uh, and the founder of StudioPress, he was the first one to sell themes and support provide support. So in 2008. Me and a guy named Chris Pearson heard how much Gardner was making. (laughs) And so we're like, ah, we got to get in on this. And so Chris created Thesis. We launched it. You know, it it started out doing about 10 grand a month and ended up doing 10 grand a day. I mean, it was a phenomenal success. So that was 2008.
0: So it's a WordPress Uh, theme.
1: It was, it's a design framework. So that themes basically worked with it, right? Uh, Genesis by Studio Press, which is part of our company now is, is a similar thing. In 2009, uh, I partnered with Sean Jackson to launch Scribe, which was the, the SAS. It was basically, it was basically SEO copywriting software, kind of very simple at the beginning. And then it evolved to the, what it is now, which is it's, Actually patented content marketing software, which is pretty cool. So my name's on a patent somewhere. <laughs> oh wow. Um yeah. And then 2010, this is where the the flux really happened and, and became who we who we are now. So I had a falling out with Chris Pearson. I exited that company. Studio Press took the place of that. Uh, we merged four or five companies together. And that became what is now known as Rainmaker Digital. And our goal, starting in 2010, was to create the Rainmaker platform. Uh, But we did step by step. We created a membership and landing page plugin for WordPress called Premise. We launched Synthesis, which is managed WordPress hosting. That was really to really nail our hosting infrastructure to get it right. Uh, And then in 2014, we launched the Rainmaker platform, which has now... Uh, evolved into an agency concept that's going to be relaunching in September. So a lot has happened in the last
0: decade, uh, but it keeps me from getting bored. I'll put it that way. Mm, Wow. So when you said agency, does that mean you guys will be doing services?
1: Yeah, that's what we found. So the Rainmaker platform is basically an all-in-one website marketing automation and email solution. And it's a you know, it's a multi-million-dollar SaaS, recurring revenue. It's fantastic. But we kind of hit a wall, and it was because people needed more help than we could provide. And here's the thing. I know you're interested in getting into SaaS, but you have to spend an incredible self-service SaaS. You spend so much time on onboarding and knowledge base and education that it almost detracts from adding – new features Mm -hmm. and but you have to do that because if it's not intuitive if people can't get started they will stop and they will cancel and you're done but with a service model we found that people needed design help they need content and copywriting help they need especially as we're moving into this realm of automation personalization artificial intelligence it's just getting more complicated than ever So we saw an opportunity based on just Nathan, just like it's always been the audience, the customers, they tell us. And if you're listening carefully, it's almost like you can't make the wrong move. Mm -hmm. So we shifted to this model by, um, we're in the process of finalizing a merger with an existing small digital marketing agency. And from there, we're going to just grow it like crazy because, I think us doing services is something that our audience has wanted for a long time, and we were always dead set against it. And and between you and I, you will not see me doing any services. But
0: I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah. I'm thinking the same thing. Like, oh no, I couldn't. No, I, couldn't I didn't work services. this hard yeah. to get away from clients to go back to it. But, <laughs> yeah. But you know, as an
1: evangelist and, and as a mm. trainer and a teacher, you know that's. That's my job. And uh, after doing it for the last 10 years, I think I'm getting better and better at it. So, yeah, that's where we're at. And it's, it's amazing, the evolution, because, again, for someone who swore never to take clients again and never to have an employee, that's not exactly how it worked out. You know, so it's also a lesson in being flexible in being adaptive in reading the signs that are right there in front of you. And there's no better way to get that kind of intelligence than from serving an audience.
0: So talk to me about that. Cause you because with with Copyblogger, um, you guys have built a massive audience. And that's kind of the premise for how all these SaaS products, software products, hosting courses, that that's how it's all spun out, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't go a day without giving credit to the people, you know. I mean, It's without them, there's nothing. But I just think that the normal, even the lean startup movement methodology is a little backwards in the sense that you're still starting with a product. Now, minimum viable means, you know, if you're wrong, you can fail fast and you can test it and all that. But I'm more of a fan of the minimum viable audience. And you get enough of an audience, much like you did with Founder, until you're getting enough feedback to where you have a path ahead. For example, you know, how would you have known that the demand for your Instagram course was there except for the fact that people are going, yeah, I need to know how to do that. Right.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. So can you give us some basic premises that you have around audience building because um, that our audience can take away now in, in today's age, because man, it, it does feel quite intimidating. That is something that a lot of people do struggle with when they build out a product. Generally that's what they do first. They, you know, they build out a product or build out a service or, or have this idea. Um, building the audience is the hard part. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. Cause I think creating the right product is the hard part, but it gets a lot easier when you have an audience. Hmm. Now, Yes, uh it can still be a challenge. It always has been. There, you know, I know there are people and 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 perhaps young people listening who are like, well, it used to be easy in 2006. No, it, it's never been easy. You have to you have to hit the right chords with people and give them the value they're looking for and do it in a way that doesn't bore them to tears. Um but but even that's not enough. So I would say there's three key things that you have to nail if you're going to build an audience. The first one is aspiration. Who do they want to become? What do they aspire to be? What's, what's the problem they're trying to solve or the desire that they're trying to fulfill? I mean, that's really what it begins with. Why do we, why do we search on Google? Why do we follow Uh, blogs or, or people on Twitter or Facebook. It's because we think they can help us do what we want. And that's aspiration. That's who are we going to be next and who's going to help us? Who's going to be the mentor for us? And that's really what, you know, copy blogger strives to be what founder strives to be. You're, you're trying to give people not just motivation, but intelligence, education, something That says, oh, that's a missing piece I was looking for, right? And if you can do that, then you can build an audience. The next aspect of that, which I think goes hand in hand, is empowerment, which is your job is not to build your personal brand or, or, you know, mouth off about whatever it is you're thinking today. It's about empowering them. And, you know, to build an audience, to be an entrepreneur, it's really about. Serving. Right. I I saw something just the other day. I think it was Pat Flynn said something about, you know, it's not sleazy selling when it's serving. That's exactly right. That's a great way to sum it up. Right. So empower your people, take them on the journey they need to go. Don't make yourself, you know, the center of attention all the time. They're the hero of their own story. You become a hero to them by helping them. Right. And then the third thing, and it's always been true, but it's never been more true than in our divisive climate of today, unity. You got to find your people. You got to reflect back to them their own worldview and they'll love you. And you know what that means? You're going to piss off like 80% of the rest of the world. Who cares? And that's the hardest thing people are like, well, I don't want to run anyone off. They, they could be, you know, a subscriber or no, choose your people and serve them and ignore everyone else. Right. And that, that's a hard lesson. It's intimidating, I think, because you don't in this day and age online, and you know, this, you don't have to be controversial to make people mad. You can say anything and make people mad. (laughs) So don't worry about it. Right. Say, speak your truth, be you, in, in a way that also builds your business. So this is, you know, authenticity in in the way Seth Godin defines it, which is you're, you're telling a story other people want to hear. Now that's either your story for real, or I, I suppose you could fake it, but man, it's hard to live your life faking it because people will find you out. And besides who that's no fun anyway. So I don't think authenticity means being egocentric or sharing what you had for lunch. It means helping people, empowering them to reach their aspirations in your unique way that, that just lines up with how they also see the world. And that's really what it takes. You know, I mean, when I started copyblogger and, and started making analogies to eighties pop culture, do you think I was really reaching the millennials at that point? You know, I mean, I just wasn't right, but that's okay because, and, and it's funny because if you look at the copy blogger audience, it skews to generation X a little mm. bit older. Right. Mm. Isn't that funny? Yeah. But that's because that's basically who I was and I wasn't afraid that someone wasn't going to get it. If they didn't know who Depeche mode was, that was, that was a great post I did where pe- some people in the comments were like, I don't know who Depeche mode is. I'm like, What?
0: You know, <laughs> so just one of those things. Mm, interesting. And what I find really, really um awesome is I think I think how you guys have built out a lot of uh software smart, like in terms of um longevity of your business. I love recurring revenue. This 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 is where it's at. Um what what I what I'm really curious around is how are you going to bring it all together? Because you, you guys have, like you are bringing it together with the Rainmaker platform. But, um, I, I still feel like, uh, and this is, um, uh, please, please don't take this the wrong way. I, I mean, it's, um, just kindly, I still feel a little bit confusing at times. Like when I have, I have always heard of copy blogger first, but it took me a while to delve into the Rainmaker platform and digital and, and the things you guys have going on there. What is your plan of attack? And, and, do you, do you feel where I'm coming from?
1: no, and it, it it's totally justified. um to the casual observer, we've heard that all the time throughout the years because so much goes on, you know by email, and that's not necessarily like we're not writing blog posts that are pimping our products all that often sometimes mm. definitely yes but but to the, the people who pay Really close attention. Those are our core, and there's a lot of them. Um, that's why, you know, went on this run, where everything we released was a seven-figure line of business within less than a year, and and no failures, right? Um, and yet, some people are like, "Oh, okay, I know copy blogger, and I read the articles, but how do you guys make money? Because it's not obvious." So, in, in some ways, I think that's a remarkable feature of content marketing and and audience building on the other hand you're right and it can be a challenge for with that type of model which is incredibly effective at getting traction i think our challenge is that we might not be able to take things to the next level without more awareness to that degree so that is something i'm cognizant of and I'm not trying to change the brand or, or, you know, disappoint people about a a way we've maybe become more aggressive about, you know, making people aware of what we do. But at the same time, it's a valid thing. And I think from a growth perspective, it's something that every entrepreneur, you know, needs to be aware of. So that that's actually a a very astute observation because that's, top of mind for me how do you preserve brand integrity while taking awareness and revenue to the next level
0: Mm. yeah because um to be honest this is something that we face a little bit too as as we start to build our product um like we're we're building a lot of courses with influencers eventually to build a course platform which will essentially be like founder premium and um, uh, a struggle, and it's not so much a struggle, but something we're starting to identify already is sa- same as you. Like, you know, um, people like, how, how do you guys make money, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people don't know that we do courses or any other things. That's why we've found, you know, the magazine does quite well still, and this book that we launched does quite well. And, yeah, I'm really curious because because I, I think for us to take it to the next level, we we should be known, like, like for – premium content or for courses or for you know one day you know we're at least three years away for, from building a SaaS product but we we want to be kind of known for that that kind of like I, I believe that we should be known just being more than content now you guys yeah I'm um, yeah I'm really curious like do you plan to change I'm, I'm interested around the strategy like do you plan to maybe change like to make it all one name or or um yeah well, what we're actually doing, and it's
1: been successful, is making the lines of business more self sufficient instead of tethered to CopyBlogger. Like Studio Press, we kind of, you know, it, it made us so much money. It was just like an ATM machine for years. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't even recurring until recently, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it just really made a lot of cash. and we and because we never took VC or any outside investment, we build out of cash flow. Yeah, and so we rode that for a while um to the point where we felt that perhaps we weren't um, properly you know, like we I don't think the brand was diminished, but people were starting to worry that only thing we cared about was Rainmaker and and not studio press. Well, this year, we came back like full force with studio press to the point where people were like, Oh, you don't care about rainmaker anymore. And I'm like, Oh God, will you (laughs) give me a break here? Right? I'm trying to restore the balance here, but here's our current thinking. And this may be what you, you may want to take this approach. We have three strong brands, one of which was copy blogger, but copy blogger launched and fed everything for a long time and that's why people don't get it you you cannot overestimate the attention of a big portion of your audience like a quarter of your audience is like they notice everything you do right those are your most faithful everyone else is very superficial about it so they don't really they're not catching your nuance your oh i hinted at this here that we've got a new course coming or or I, I mentioned here that we're going to eventually do SaaS. What I found is you have to lead up to every new thing. You know, and you could be subtle at first, but then you have to be more direct. And you just, and you're still not going to catch everyone. Your, your, your top people will notice everything you do. But at some point with the big mass of people, for example, your Instagram audience, if they're not on an email list, they only have a superficial understanding of what you're doing. They see the content, you know, they're checking it out from time to time, but they're not really invested in you. And your goal as the leader is to make that 25% grow to more. So from our standpoint, Rainmaker is almost a standalone thing. It's going to have its own content. It's got its own target mo- audience, which is really easy because it's different, I think, than most of the copy blogger audience. And that will play out in the fall. And we'll learn quite a bit about that. Studio Press and the copy blogger audience, I think, are more aligned. And yet, Studio Press is its own brand. And we're really treating it like that for the first time. So, when a lot of people do think we have a bunch of companies, no, it's one company, but it counterintuitively we're almost starting to treat them as separate
0: companies again. Okay. That's interesting. So thinking is not to so much bring them together anymore.
1: I think that was our, our, our original idea and it makes sense and it's, you know, conventional wisdom, but we don't do anything that's conventional if it doesn't work. And we're finding that if you've got three strong brands, then treat them that way. Right. And, and copy blogger still always going to be the mothership where, you know, you find out the ability to announce something new to people is is the function of CopyBlogger. But you also have to remember that we have over 200,000 customers at StudioPress. Right. Wow. At some point, your customer base becomes almost more valuable because they have bought from you. And they will give you legitimate product level feedback.
0: Mm, uh, copy, blogger,
1: copy blogger, copy feedback is more general market level, and it's important. But the more granular you can get, and that's why, you know, the idea to to make the move with Rainmaker uh, to become a service and technology hybrid. Again, the market told us what to do. It's not that we're so smart. The only smart thing about us is we
0: listen. Yeah, I like that. So. Let's switch gears. Talk to me about um your partner's piece. I find that very, very interesting. So do you um have many different partners within each company or each brand?
1: No, i um, so there are four partners besides myself. I'm the largest owner. And each one, you know, came their own way. Brian Gardner came by contributing to Studio Press. Sean Jackson came by, you know, scribe. Tony was there from the beginning. Sonia uh, also came in through teaching cells. So when we got together in 2010 in Denver, I mean, we literally put this company together in less than two hours. There was no, you know, hardcore haggling. Everyone had a shared vision and we, you know, we just set all the equity portions all the other partners have uh, the same percentage ownership and I have a a higher one. The idea was to build something bigger than we could build alone. And that was the idea in 2010. And I know we've, we've accomplished that. It certainly has been an adventure. You know, every new year was just another step down the path, but I I wouldn't, I, I, there's no way I would have kept going with this company if we weren't constantly trying to innovate, constantly trying to, to create new things and make what we have better. I will say that, you know, we launched StudioPress Sites at the beginning of this year, uh, which is the hosted version of StudioPress that we'd wanted to do for a long time and now of course we're changing the nature of rainmaker so those two major things this year in a year where a year ago i would have said we're done <laughs> making new things right mm. but i mean do, how do
0: you feel about that i mean are you driven by change or just growing what you have no i'm i think that's the that's the entrepreneur in all of us we want to we want to shake things up we want to do new and exciting things um uh, I'm driven. Yeah, no, I'm driven by both those things: growth, growing, growing what we already have, but at the same time creating new fun stuff. That's yeah, that's the fun part for me. Yeah, and you have to make sure you have to really ask
1: yourself: Am I doing this just so I'm, you know, not going to be bored, or is this really the right thing for our our customers and prospects? That's the gut check, and so far I think we've stuck to that. Um, but you're right, the entrepreneurial spirit. Because sometimes have you doing something new when you should really be doubling down on the thing you have. And that's, you, you know, and that's up to everyone to figure out for themselves. But please take some time to check yourself because you don't want to screw up a good thing just because you're, you're kind of antsy.
0: Mm, that's true. So I'm curious, do you have plans to sell the whole company, like the, the whole entity? Copy block like a uh, rainmaker, copy block all, all of it. Like, uh, has that ever crossed your mind? Many opportunities there. Man, we've danced with the devil so many times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, we've had you know acquisition interest. Uh, we've had a ton of private equity interest. Uh, we have in the last year, we've had two offers on the table to sell you know, more than half of the company to private equity people and which, you know, I'd be set for life, (laughs) Mm. but we said no. Um, because we just didn't trust any of it in the sense that we didn't know what it would be like to work with someone outside the expectations for growth we thought were unrealistic and would cause us to compromise ourselves. And I do this for the creative freedom to do what I want more than money. Now we, we make a good living. There is no doubt about it. And we could make a lot of money and put it in the bank if we were to sell any portion of the company. But what do you give up now? I mean, if if, I, I suppose if there were the right strategic acquirer who you know, they're going to make me work for them for two years. That's another thing. I just told you, I can't work for anyone. Mm. Um, but for if the, if the amount is right, I could live with that, but it, it's more important that I'm not giving the company to someone who's not going to treat our people. Right. You know, and it, it, it sucks that you have to worry about that,
0: but you do, mm, you know, hundred percent. Cause so, they want to
1: return. Right. Right.
0: Hmm. Awesome. Well, look, um, last question and we'll work towards wrapping up personal brand versus business brand I like what you said there because I, I know a lot of people are big on building the personal brand piece me personally I don't really care <laughs> about building my personal brand I just want to grow, grow a business brand because I want to build something that's bigger than myself and and continue to do that and and I think I I, I think it's a bad word to say egotistical to want to build your personal brand but I don't know. I just, I don't really have that much care for it. And I, and I think you're maybe in the same camp as me. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see you really that focused or it doesn't seem like a focus. You just kind of just do it. You know what I mean? Uh, well, the best personal brands are built
1: out of building something bigger than you. You built Founder. Everyone knows who Nathan Chan is now. I, and I wanted no personal attention. And 11 years later, I am so synonymously tied to Copyblogger that, right? You know, I mean, despite all the talented people that work for us, you know, and they have their own personal brands as well, but it's me, right? Even though I didn't want it. So that leads me to believe that don't worry about it, right? If you do good work and you create something useful, people are going to go, yeah, Brian Clark did that. Nathan Chan did that. There you go. Right. And I don't think it's egotistical necessarily to want to build a personal brand, but I'm suspicious of people that are more concerned about, you know, their own level of thought leadership or, you know, I mean, it just, it just, it's like, do the work. It'll happen, you know, whether you want it to or not, it'll happen. And that's more legitimate than setting out to do it. So I guess that's where I come down on thought leadership. I mean, Richard Branson, what a great personal brand, started a record store, right? I mean, that's what he was passionate about. Not saying, I'm Richard Branson. Yeah, 100%. And and he did it time and time again. And and yet he is the most, like, he will draw attention to himself with stunts and daring escapades and all this kind of stuff. Cause he knows it's good for Virgin. Mm. I don't necessarily believe that Richard Branson is driven to promote Richard Branson. He knows that if he makes Virgin succeed, then Richard Branson is pretty much set. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that he, and I, I, I am, I am a big fan of that guy. So I think that's the way to go
0: about Yeah. I like that. Awesome. Well, um, We will work towards wrapping up. Where's the best place people can find out more about yourself, Brian, and your work and and all the awesome things that you're up to?
1: Yeah, I've got uh, a ton of stuff that I'm up to. Um, Of course, mainly copyblogger.com, free content marketing education. If you sign up for our My Copyblogger library, there's just like an entire beautiful library of of eBooks that kind of uh, amass everything we've talked about for 10 years, you know, landing pages, email marketing, SEO, copywriting content, all of that. My podcast for people who are the founder nature, unemployable uh, your episode is uh, just about to be released and it's awesome. So come check that out for sure. Nathan gave some great tips especially the Instagram stuff. I mean, and also I was just so impressed with how tenacious you are. So that's a, (laughs) that's a solid episode. Uh, And then I call it my own form of personal therapy, but I have a personal growth newsletter called further at further.net. I really do it just to better understand the books I'm reading, the things I'm learning. Uh, I've, been successful as an entrepreneur for a long time i'm not always successful at other aspects of my life and i'm trying to fix that so if that sounds like you (laughs) you can follow along with me over there at further
0: awesome well thank you so much for your time brian i really appreciate it. it was an awesome chat i love it thank you for having me man hey guys i hope you enjoyed this interview